you can go ahead and have a seat. I am so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we are in week two of Prayers for the Church, and uh, I'm really looking forward to digging into this with you. And you can be wildly excited. It is art class day. We've done this a few times, and you all rave about my art, art skills, so I thought I don't want to deprive the fans, so I've come prepared. Uh, we are digging in the Prayers for the Church series, and what I said to you last week was, I don't even know if these are sermons. They might be. Uh, they're things I'm praying for you, for me, for us. They're things I'm chewing on. They might not pass a preaching class kind of checklist for preaching, but I just want to share things that are stirring in me uh, as we kick off this new year together. And one of the things I'd say about this Prayers for the Church series, or this one's sermon specifically, is just the fact that I hope you know I pray for you. I don't know if you know that, maybe you assume it, maybe you've gotten the odd message from me from time to time, or from Dave or whoever, but not only do we pray for the church, we pray for you specifically. And one of the ways you gift me is that you almost always sit in the same seat every week. Once in a while you'll move, and I could point at a few people this morning who have shifted seats, but by and large, I can kind of pace through this room and get real warm to where people sit. Uh, but not only do we want to talk about prayer, we do pray together. I don't want to creep you out, although I'm okay with creeping out a little bit. I think about you a lot in the creepiest way imaginable. <laughs> I think about you more than you think about me. Is that fair? Don't lie. Come on. I think about you far more than you think about me. And I've been chewing on that. Like, most of you will leave church today, and you will come back next Sunday, maybe for a ministry or drop your kids off. But be honest. You will barely think about me before next Sunday. Oh, come on now. Tell the truth in church. I think about you constantly, and here's the kicker. I'm supposed to. I've been thinking about my role lately, what it means to be a pastor, and I don't know if it's turning 40, I don't know if it's years here at Yarmouth Wesleyan, but I've been really evaluating who I am in my calling, what this relationship is, whether you know it or not, we're in a relationship. Sorry, that's just how this works. We're in a relationship together, and I find myself breaking it down and thinking about it. Early in my ministry, for the, a big chunk of time, I wanted to be the leader of a church. The leader word was the primary word I would have used. I wanted to lead a people, lead a church, lead a ministry, lead something. We were here, and we moved, and now we're over here because I led the thing that I'm leading. And I'm, Leadership was the word I used for the bulk of my ministry. In the last year, God has kind of taken that word out and put a new word in. That's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. The word that he took out was leader, and the word he put in was pastor. Now, being a pastor is a unique deal, and some of you might be pastor's kids and you have a bit of a glimpse into it, but it is a weird job, if you call it that, in our modern day, in our landscape. It's just a weird calling, and like part of my calling is you. Like, I don't exist away from you. I exist with you. So part of me being a pastor means there's a relationship between being a pastor and those whom I'm pastoring. If you're new to church, maybe this relationship is brand new to you. 
Maybe you went to a church growing up where you never saw your pastor, you never bumped into him, you just assumed he literally ate, slept, lived at the church 24 hours a day. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic church where a priest is much more your reference point, and so you're maybe surprised that I have a wife, I have three kids, I have a mortgage, you might see me on your ball team or in the community, like, oh, that's different than what I'm used to. You may book a meeting with me and have a priestly idea in your head of kind of confessing sins or being absolved of your sins only to discover I've got my own sins. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. That's not my calling. That's not how God prescribed this. I don't absolve people of their sins. I will introduce you to the one who can, but I don't do that. And so I've just been finding myself lately over the past year especially really thinking about what this is. And it, I realize we have a lot of new people to the church post-pandemic. We have people returning from pre-pandemic. I thought, you know what? We need to talk for a minute about this sacred relationship. I'm not going to talk about the staff today, like specifically me and you. If you go to this church, this is the relationship you're signing up for. So maybe you'll hear this sermon like, peace out. I'm not doing this. But this is how this works. It probably doesn't come as a shock to you that pastors do spiritual work. That can't be a shock, right? It's not a shock to you that pastors have spiritual conversation, and you may wonder about your spiritual life or about eternity, what happens after you die. And so pastors find themselves doing a lot of conversations with people who are seeking and exploring and are curious about Christianity, maybe other faiths as well. That kind of makes a lot of sense to people. It makes sense to people that we help lead people into a relationship with Jesus. We can call that salvation, being born again, conversion, whatever you want to call it. But that moment where you decide, I don't want to be king or queen of my little kingdom. I want to step into God's kingdom for what Jesus did for me. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive him as king in my life. People understand that idea. People even come to baptism services and like, oh, I kind of get that. But it's a privilege for us to baptize people. We have a service coming up if you've not been baptized before. And for us as Wesleyans and what we believe it means is that the old life is gone. You're being dunked or buried under the water as unto the grave kind of thing. The successes, the failures, the good, the bad, the ugly, all the stuff that happened in your little kingdom are gone. And you're being raised anew into his kingdom. That's what that is. You can read Romans 6 to kind of want to explore more about it. But people get that. You know, weddings and funerals, like they get that. What I want to talk about is what happens after you're saved, been baptized, then you have a lot of years, Lord willing, on this earth before you step into eternity. What is this relationship as you progress and journey with your walk with the Lord? When we talk about this, you can find different words growing in your faith or spiritual formation or maturing. If, you're, if you've been in the church for a long time, some churches talk about sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. This idea that we grow. Your Christian faith is not meant to be static, right? It's meant to be dynamic, living and breathing. The goal is not to get saved and then wait. The goal is something else. It's dynamic, it's moving, it's living, it's breathing. Your Christian growth, your sanctification journey will not mirror anybody else in this room, and that's good news. 
God does not do cookie-cutter growth. So even, you'll notice in your marriage, you don't grow the same, do you? Yes? With your friends, you don't grow the same. You'll bump into somebody who all they want to do is talk about theology, and all you want to do is go serve the poor. Right? Like, we're all different. So there's no cookie-cutter way we grow. You'll find, this is, this is a great one, you do not grow up and to the right in perpetuity. Have you noticed your spiritual growth, your spiritual formation is way more roller coaster than you dare to admit? Have you noticed you take two steps forward and one step back? Like, Lord, 2023, I'm done gossiping. I'm all done, Lord. I'm going to retire from the gossip train. By January the 4th, you're having coffee. Like, did you hear? You're like, where'd that come from? You haven't swore for years, and all of a sudden your language is just so toxic. You, you thought you were free from porn years ago, and it kind of reared its ugly head. You're like, where did that come from? And you find your journey is not this. It's way more up and down. That's the journey I want to talk about. Because I think if we're being honest, if we're in church, we can be honest— most people, and this is just anecdotal from what I hear from people, most people wish they were in a different place spiritually than they actually are. Is that fair? I rarely talk to people, and it does happen from time to time, they're like, man, I just, I am living a vibrant Christian life. What I tend to hear more often is, pastor, I've been in church my entire life, and I, I don't know, the Bible still doesn't make sense. Pastor, I still don't understand this prayer thing. I'll pray for one of food, but I, I don't really get it. Pastor, I don't have any Christian friends. Pastor, I don't, ah, all these things they don't know, and what happens is they grow increasingly frustrated, like they've been invited to something that just seems impossible. And so I want to talk, and how I'm praying for you is how do you grow in your faith, practically speaking? Is that okay? Now here's the best part. God didn't leave that a mystery. There's actually, he has an opinion on how you grow in your faith. Now, when you go to Ephesians chapter 4, I've gone to this passage probably a dozen times since being your pastor. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of my favorite books of the Bible and one of my favorite chapters of the book of the Bible. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is how God is reconciling humanity. You have a holy God, sinful people, Jesus steps in, he dies, he saves us, he invites us into his kingdom by his grace, which means you can't earn it, you receive it. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, now, or then, or in light of, or therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That language may not make sense to you, but basically he is saying, if you're going to be a Christian, chapters 1, 2, and 3, here's what it looks like defined by God. Imagine that, that God has an opinion on how you walk out his faith. I don't know about you, but in 2023, you don't tell people what to do. We've had this theme the last few years. I touched on it last week. Nobody tells anybody what to do anymore. The motto of the day is, you do you and I'll do me. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. Which is just polite ways of saying, mind your business. Kids are no longer wrong in school, the teachers are wrong. 
All authorities are now wrong and subject to questioning. All institutions, if you've noticed this trend lately, they're all corrupt. You come to churches, people have a suspicion about institutions. Nobody tells anybody what to do. We bring it to faith, we look at God and say, not even you. But here's the deal, church. If we sign up to be a, a Christian or live in his kingdom, why would, we be, why would we be shocked that the king has an opinion on how the kingdom's citizens live? That shouldn't be a shock, right? So on the backside of four, he's kind of giving a lot of these Christian ethics. Here's how we're going to do life as kingdom citizens. Walk this way. And what he's talking about is we're going to be mature. We're going to grow in our faith. We're going to develop. And here's how it's going to work. In, in verses like 1 through 10, he talks about what Christ does. But in chapter 11, or verse 11, he says, and then, go to verse 11 of chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the, to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped." When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Don't you love Paul's writings? Almost doesn't make sense, right? Here's something you have to understand with Paul. Paul writes out of his passion and his enthusiasm. He uses commas where he's supposed to use periods. Did you notice? Just one run long, run on sentence. What Paul is saying is that we are to grow up so that we are not children being tossed all around in our Christian faith. What happens if we're not careful is that people will live in the church and be around the church for 5, 10, 15, 20, or even 30 years, but never grow up past childlike faith. They confuse childlike with childish faith, and what happens is, instead of building cumulatively over 30 years, what happens if they're not careful is they have 30 one-year experiences. And they never mature beyond newbie. Does that track? And what happens is, this is not an accusative statement. This is a statement of compassion because many Christians are frustrated living almost a Groundhog Day year over and over and over, and they never grow past that. Your faith is meant to be dynamic where you step one day and say, man, look where I was. Look how far I've come. Is that not mildly intriguing? Now, here's how it works. God did not leave it a mystery in that passage. Like, God actually has a plan for how you grow in your faith. So you got God's plan here. This is where art class will kick in. Sorry to those of you on this side and those of you on that side. 
I will put this on the floor after. I would encourage you to take a photo of this. This may unlock your entire Christian journey. So God has a plan for how you grow, and it's not a mystery. He says in the passage, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You saw that, right? Time out. Hold on on lines one second here. I want to have a lot of fun this morning, and we're about to roll hard. Are you all ready? Are you ready? All right, online, you can resume now. It says here, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, but those are gifts to the church, not spiritual gifts to the believer. Don't confuse these two. If you go to Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or 1 Peter 4, you will find lists of spiritual gifts that he gives to the believers. Teaching, hospitality, mercy, compassion, so on, so on, so on. Speaking in tongues. All these gifts that he gives to you as individuals. If you're a Christian in this room, that means you have received the Holy Spirit, whether you are full or not is a different conversation. You have received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you spiritual gifts. Don't find me after and say, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I don't have a spiritual gift. Yes, you do. You just didn't discover it yet. You have giftings. That's not this. This is not spiritual gifts passage. This is a how the church works passage. The way God gifts you with spiritual giftings, God has gifted the church with certain gifts. And the gifts are people who function like apostles. Not capital A, excuse that so you can see it. Small a apostles who help the church move, take new ground, and see the kingdom expand. They are movement-oriented people given to the church. Prophets are God's people making sure that they voice God's will and desire because sometimes people who want to move will move at all costs. So prophets show up beside an apostle or a king and say, we can't just do it, we have to do it God's way. Evangelists are gifted people who when they preach the gospel, people respond. This church... uh, I had an evangelist as a pastor for many, many, many years. John Simons. That guy can go through McDonald's drive through and lead someone to the Lord. It's a gifting. It, it's, it's how God wired him. Jason Parker up in Barrington. That guy can be on, on the ice playing hockey, and while he's scoring, he's leading someone to Jesus. It's incredible. It's a gift. Jay's just the vehicle. It's a gift. Then there's shepherds. Shepherds are people you all love because when you're bleeding, they come around with a hug and a band-aid. They make sure you're doing okay. And the teachers make sure you understand the mission we're on. They want to open the word, pull it apart, and teach it. And so Paul says, there's no mystery. Here's how you're going to grow, and here's how you're going to mature. God has given the church these five kinds of people to help you grow. Now you should be asking, how are we going to grow? That's a really great question. In five ways. First way, he says, there are going to be people that are going to help you equip. Equipping is where you learn to understand how you're gifted, how God made you. Psalm says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident, even if your parents said you are. You're not. That wasn't meant to be a joke. Uh, too many people are given false scripts in life. That wasn't meant to be humorous. You are fearfully and wonderfully put together. You're weird sometimes, but it's on purpose. 
God puts you that way. The, the leaders come along and help you understand who you are and why you are the way that you are and how you use your gifting. That's what we're supposed to do. Then there's the build. You should connect with these five people, come to church, be in a small group, and feel built up after we gather and leave feeling full. And if not full, at least a deposit in your spiritual buckets. You should not come to church and be pounded into the ground. I don't care if you were raised in the ear of a church where a pastor stood up front, sweating and spitting and pounding a pulpit. You are not meant to be beat up at church. Do you know how I know this? Because the church is Christ's bride. You don't beat up on your spouse. And so when we come together, you are the bride of Christ. I have not been given the permission to beat up the bride. It's to be built up. Another word is edified, encouraged. You should leave here like, yeah. Like, I want to take a step in my faith. We also have uh, unity. Go ahead and laugh. They'll feel good. You didn't do it. I said go ahead and laugh. Imagine the church being unified. Can you imagine such, such audacious visionary goals to have the church unified. See, it's not to have the small C church unified. It's not to have Yarmouth Wesleyan unified. We're, we're mostly there. I don't, we don't get a lot of fighting. We don't, you don't send me nasty emails. I said to you last week, you're mostly Canadians. So you're not going to do that. But that's not this. That's part of it. But it's meant to be the church is meant to be unified. Like the capital C church. We are meant to get along. And we are meant to partner together and lean in together. And what happens is, this is kind of difficult, isn't it? Because if you want to be honest in church, people are kind of irritating and annoying sometimes. And truth be told, you would prefer to be unified with people who are like you. And you'll find in the kingdom, the body is really diverse. And there's some wild opinions, some wild behaviors, some quirky personalities. You're like, ugh, don't make me be unified with them. No, no, we are fighting for the unity of the church, the oneness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The other thing, what's well, read? The other thing that we're working towards in that passage, if you're reading along, this is, I'm not making this stuff up, is knowledge. You are meant to understand your faith, not just stay in it till you die. Please hear me when I say that one more time. You are meant to understand your faith, not just hold on to it until you die. When people say, I believe by faith, what they accidentally say is, I believe by blind faith. Well, I don't know how it works. Well, I don't know. Well, how did God make the heavens and the earth? I don't know. Well, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for you and I to be forgiven? I don't know. Why didn't God just say, you're forgiven the way you forgive each other? Why did somebody have to die? I don't know. Why did he baptized? I don't know. And what happens is, you can go your entire life in your Christian faith, but not actually grow in knowledge if you're not careful. You are meant to understand it. 
What I want to do up here is not wow you with a sermon, but help explain the scriptures so you can go home and dig on it on your own time. There should not be a divide where somehow I know things that you don't know. Yes? So after coming to this church for a season of time or going to your small group, you should understand your faith a little bit better. And the last thing that he calls us to is to be mature. Now here's an amazing detail. If you go home and read Ephesians 4, get into 16 through 20, he really pulls out that we are to mature, to grow up in our faith, to the measure of Jesus. How's that? Your potential as a Christian is not to be as mature as I am. Thank the Lord. Your potential as a Christian is not to be as mature as the person you married. Thank the Lord. Or your parents, or your friends, or your denomination, or anything. Your potential of what God wants to do in you does not equal somebody in this room. Your potential, please let me have your attention, is Jesus. Do you hear that? That should rattle you at the core of your bones. Because we live in an area, I'm so sorry to say this, that is primarily passive in nature. There's an attitude, could be better, but it could be worse. Don't settle for mediocrity in your faith. You are being invited to the full measure of Jesus. You'll chew on that one later. All of this is for the building up of the body. And you should say right now, who cares? You should. You should say, who cares? Because if the goal is to meet God, have Jesus die for our sins, and only get us into eternity, or get us to heaven someday, who cares? We care because the body is Jesus' representation on this earth. We care about this happening because this is Jesus' number one plan to make his name known in Southwest Nova. If he wants to get someone through a dream, he will. But other than that, we, the church, grow in equipping and building and unity and knowledge and maturity. We walk out our faith as unto Jesus in the community. That's how the kingdom of heaven spreads in Southwest Nova, through you and through me. The denomination is nothing. Yarmouth Wesleyan is nothing if it's not us as a people group. And so all this is happening because God is making his claim to humanity through us. How's that sit? Isn't that incredible? Now here's the thing. If I asked each of you to stand up and I said, is anybody interested in this bottom row? Or is anybody opposed to being equipped in your faith and building up and being unified and growing in knowledge and being more mature? Nobody's going to object to that. There's just a giant question mark for how it actually happens. Right? That's why there's so many Christians walking like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I could be better. I guess I, I, I guess. 
but actually, it's not a mystery. When God wants to grow you in your faith, he's going to start, well, I won't even prioritize them. He's going to use spiritual practices. Depending on your, on your denomination, that could be spiritual disciplines, or depending on you being a kid, it was read your Bible and pray every day. Right? If you didn't know anything about what it meant to be a Christian, you at least knew the Holy Trinity of behavior. Read your Bible, pray every day, and go to church on Sunday. Yes? That's not enough. Not that there's more, it's just bigger than that. People come to me and say, man, pastor, I'm not growing in my faith. Well, are you in the scriptures? Nah, I don't understand it. Do you pray? Ah, I'm not much for sitting still and praying. I don't know what to say. Do you ever just walk around in the wilderness in solitude? Nah, I hate being alone. Do you ever sit quietly, silent before God? No, I like to have noise on the TV and news and my phone. And Okay. Do you ever serve people less fortunate or serve somebody else and put your needs second? No, nah, I don't have time. What do you want from me? <laughs> Here's the kicker. This is as ancient as it gets, but it's not a Christian to-do list to get a gold star beside your name. These are sacred practices that have a forming effect on you. You are being discipled and formed every day. Did you know that? I'm not talking about the church. Every day you get up, you are being formed and discipled by the world. Like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. If you watch a TV show, you are being formed. If you scroll social media, you are being formed. You are being discipled by the ads you see, by the posts you read. And here's the kicker. It's all designed to give you more of what you want. Your phone in your pocket is designed to be an irritant in your life. Did you know this? It is tracking everything you do to drive you crazy and not give you a minute of silence. Ding, ding, ding. Red one, red two, red three, bing, bing, bing. It's meant to drive you crazy. That 52-inch plasma screen TV is designed to drive you crazy. They're not evil. This is not the church you're going to that says things are evil. No, but they're shaping you. Your colleagues at work are shaping you. All this stuff has a forming effect. It's just not of the kingdom of Jesus. So if you want to be a kingdom citizen, you need contrary formations that reshape your heart to be citizens of the kingdom. So if I scroll social media, have you not noticed how much more negative and anxious you are after? Don't lie to me. Come on now. Have you ever noticed the longer you're on Instagram, the less you feel like you measure up? Don't lie to me. It's doing that to you on purpose. Instagram, Facebook, these things are trying to tell you you're not enough. Scripture's trying to tell you you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you are only being formed by these things, it will narrate your head. I need to go to Scripture. Social media says you're always right. Not the comment section. Stay to that. That's trash. It just keeps feeding you more of you. I need scripture to challenge me. I need to go serve people and use my gifts. 
I need to sit still in prayer because my mind is a beehive of anxiety. When you have all that stuff swirling, you, you just need to sit still once in a while and surrender it to the only one who has the power to do anything about it. Have you noticed when you meet with me, those of you who have, or Dave, we don't have a lot to offer. <laughs> have you noticed this? Be honest, it's okay. Most of you bring problems into my office. This may shock you, you leave with the same problems. Have you noticed that? You book a meeting with me and talk about your marriage. You leave and your marriage is still in trouble. You come in with an addiction and you leave and you're still addicted. Have you noticed this? Come on, church. Come on. The whole point is, I'm just like you. I can't do anything for you with a flick of the fingers other than pointing you to what Jesus pointed us to. The way to be free from addiction is not to confess it to your pastor. Well, that's well and good in a certain realm. It's to formate your life in a way that goes against the addictions. If your marriage is in trouble, I can't do anything for it other than to point you to formative practices that help lead it in a different direction. I can't fix your anxiety other than pointing you to sit quietly before the one who can calm the storms of the seas and calm the storms of your mind. I got nothing for you. I just keep pointing you to the ancient practices. I'll keep moving. I'm bogged down there too long. The other thing that God uses to accomplish his mission in us as a church is biblical community. Do you know the problem with biblical community? People. Yes? The problem with community is people. People show up and mess it up. People are a mess. And I want community that's neat and tidy and predictable. I don't want them showing up with their mess. I've got my own messes. And then here's the other thing. This is really going to blow your mind. People are super irritating. (laughs) I know this is a shock to you, They have weird quirks and bad habits and they do things that drive you crazy and then their mouth opens. (laughs) Have you heard the things that some people say? Not, nobody in here, of course. You're paying attention, right? My dad had a sign in his office as a pastor said, I'd love ministry if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Can we just all admit that we're a mess. Now, we're a mess in transition, but the the crazy thing is, usually the thing that irritates you in somebody else is the thing that you don't like about you. You're just seeing it on display. Here's the kicker with community. Don't confuse community with your friends. Friends are the people that share hobbies and share interests with you. You need community. Differing views, differing opinions, where you do life together, and actually friction against each other. Ideally, your community should not be a circle of people who are just mirror images of you. That's called Facebook. In community, it, it has a way of exposing your shortcomings. I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. At first, I wanted to blame Julia, but God was just using community to show me how selfish I was. And then if I didn't believe it yet, God gave us children. 
My first thought was, if I can just get them to behave to every word I say to them. (laughs) Oh, my word. No, it's exposing my issues having children. It's It's friction. Having staff, it's friction. It exposes my sinfulness. It's a gift. But here's the second thing. If you stay in community long enough, you get the privilege of having somebody who knows you and loves you. Social media will affirm your highlights. Community will love you at your worst. Snot, mascara, screwed up, hair going everywhere, men showing up like, I blew it again. Opened my mouth, inserted both feet. And someone says, yeah, you're kind of dumb, aren't you? That's real community. If they won't tell you that, they're not real community. And then they say, but I still love you. If you only want affirming voices in your life, you're missing it. You need biblical community that the friction has a sanctifying process to your journey. And the third thing I should say is pivotal circumstances. Uh, I've got good news and bad news. Pivotal circumstances. You can choose your practices. You can choose your community. You don't get to choose your pivotal circumstances. Sorry. One of the places where God matures us on our journey and uses these people to meet you in your journey is at a pivotal moment in your life. Most people grow with God or get off the bus with God, not because of these things, but because of this one. They go through a divorce and say, nope, I've served God my entire life. I sang every Sunday that he's a good, good father. Nope, nope, nope. Any God who would allow this, nope. The person prayed for a loved one to be healed, and the person wasn't healed, and people say, nope. If God's all-powerful and God's all-good, he should have healed them. I have no time to worship a God who could not heal that child. I'm out. People get married, and life is going great, and they get out. It's amazing how many people come to church hurting and lonely. God blesses them with a significant other, and they leave the church. This isn't like the local meat market. You know that, right? (laughs) This is biblical community. And people come to God in their hour of desperation, meet somebody, then move on. It's amazing how many people call the church because they're financially strapped. God blesses them by giving them their financial woes or grants them a job that blesses them with more finances and they peace out. Like God's not a vending machine. And people have this idea of like these pivotal moments. They don't realize they're not coincidence. God is moving and active in those moments. And what you do with them will have a gigantic effect on your spiritual formation. You will grow through the monotony of day to day. That will happen. You will grow more through pivotal moments where you will even feel This is a seismic turning point. One of the greatest gifts these groups of people get to have is to sit down with somebody in a pivotal circumstance and say, I'm sorry your spouse left you. I'm sorry your child died. I'm sorry I celebrate, I congratulate. Those pivotal moments 
and how we shape theology in those moments, here's the deal. Some of them are so pivotal, you won't be able to see clearly. I've sat with grieving parents and grieving spouses, and you're trying to talk, and they can't see left from right, can't see blue from red. We get a moment to sit beside them. I'm not an event planner. We don't put on church services. We meet people in their pivotal circumstance, and we help narrate what God might be up to. I don't know how to offer you anything else, church. You can book meetings with me, and I will always take them. Unless I can get Dave to take them, then I'll dodge out of it. He's here somewhere. If you meet with us, we can't do anything for you. There's no special power. As pastors, as apostles, it is our privilege to walk beside you. We're not event planners. I'm not a CEO of an organization. I don't know our finances of our church inside now. I am a pastor. And I long to reclaim that in my life where I sit down beside you and say, what is God doing in your life? What are you learning and being formed through practices? Where is your biblical community? What is God teaching you in this moment? I don't want people to come and say, Pastor, I know you're busy, but if you, oh, I never want to be described as being a pastor who's too busy for people. There is no pastoring without people. And so as we pray for the church, and I pray for you, this is what I'm praying about. I'm praying about how do we raise you up and equip you? How do we bring us into community and oneness and friction and awkwardness? I'm praying that in those pivotal moments, you don't just get mad at God, you get mad at God in community. Bring somebody into your pain. Bring somebody into your high points. Do this together. And I believe if we do this together, this is how this starts to take place. So church, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you grow. I'm praying that I grow, but I'm praying that we grow together. I don't want to entertain. I don't want to put on events. I want to be your pastor and see you grow in Christ's likeness this year.